Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to answer one of your questions. But before we jump into that question, I'd like to remind you of all the things available to you at chrismoles.org. In particular, I'd like to invite you to be part of PeaceWorks University. If you're benefiting from the content that you're listening to here on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can find out more about our membership community, PeaceWorks University, at chrismoles.org. chrismoles.org. All right. We're uh, jumping into some questions, and we so appreciate when you guys submit questions to us, and so we're going to dive right into one uh, for today's episode. It's kind of lengthy, so hang on. I have a question in response to episode number 189, The Four Keys of Biblical Care. I struggle with the concept that a biblical counselor has to stress the need for local church involvement, and the word has is in all caps. Often the local church makes things worse. I love biblical counseling, but the idea that a victim's support has to be connected to or supported by a local church is a huge sticking point for me. I can't in good conscience recommend my clients seek support from a church that is not educated in domestic abuse intervention or a church that's already demonstrated that's not safe, nor do all victims have the time, energy, or ability to research, identify, and join safe, educated churches to depend on for support. I want to thank you for the question. And I guess right off the bat, I would say I'm, I'm sorry that your experience uh, with the local church has been, has been negative. And, and it's not uncommon. A lot of folks have had similar experiences with the local church. And I also want to clarify that I don't think in episode 189 uh, or, or at any time, I would say that any local church, you know, or every local church is sufficient to, to do this work. And I certainly would never want to um, have a victim be succumbed to a church environment that was hostile, uh, unsafe, outright dangerous. And, and I would hope that that would be pretty clear. So, yes, in biblical care and counseling, I'm still going to promote the involvement of the local church. But, of course, uh, I think the assumption should be that that church be safe. So I want to talk to you a little bit about some aspects of church life that's safe and also really remind us that while counseling and care is an essential part of this work, it's not the only part of this work. And I, I think that's something that falls into the realm of where the church has made some of its biggest mistakes over the years, even perhaps well-meaning churches and churches that have been involved in the work uh, for a long time as far as making referrals. I think one of the key issues over the years has been, well, churches just need to make referrals, refer, refer, refer. However, counseling is not the only response to domestic abuse. It's a response. It's one part of a larger framework of helpful responses. However, counseling is inadequate alone to meet the dynamics um, and complexities of an abusive relationship. It's certainly a key part, but not the only part. 
So while I appreciate good godly counsel, good Christian and biblical counselors engaged in the work, I also want us as counselors to recognize that our time with clients, whether it be once a week or twice a week or, or what have you, is not sufficient, right? The, the scripture is sufficient. The, the, the word of God is sufficient. God himself is sufficient. Jesus Christ is sufficient. The counselor is not. And so it does benefit us to build teams. And so I would agree with the questioner that I certainly would never want a victim to um, be uh, to succumb to the ministry of a poor church or a dangerous church. But I, I will back up, I think, my sentiment in, in that episode that yes, the local church involvement is key and can be essential, assuming that there are safe churches. And then the question does say it's too hard to research. You know, the assumption is that our clients are all coming from dangerous churches, and that's certainly true. Many are. Some are not. Some are coming from churches that need a little bit of education and help. So I think what we'll do is let's just take a few moments and talk about maybe what a church needs to kind of fit that safe category. And I, I, it's not as significant as maybe some of you um, or, or myself have even thought. I, I think sometimes those of us in the work, we we really want the church to be perfect or complete, like being able to do everything. And I think really perhaps a better view is to say, okay, what is the, what is the minimum for a safe church? What are some of the things that the churches can do to position themselves to care well? Because the idea that the church is going to navigate every aspect of care is just as foolish as saying that the counselor alone is going to navigate every aspect of care. There has to be um, multiple facets of care and confrontation um, in these cases, just like um, in the secular world. And I think that's one of the things that we've learned. If we as biblical counselors have learned anything from the secular world in regards to domestic abuse and sexual assault, has been that there are there's not one system or one aspect of the system that alone can meet the needs of the problem. Law enforcement's um, inadequate. Prosecutors are inadequate. Community agencies are inadequate alone. But together, uh, they form a community-coordinated response that can best, uh, or I should say better, meet the needs of victims and better establish means of accountability. And the same thing's true with the church. That the pastor alone is inadequate to navigate the complexities of a domestic abuse case. I don't think anyone's naive to that, except for maybe a few folks who are a little, maybe maybe prideful uh, ecclesiologically. But I think most of us, even those of us who are pastors, should be able to willingly say, we're in over our head, because everyone is in over their head from an individual perspective. Because cases of domestic abuse require uh, team-based approaches, or I should say benefit most from team-based approaches. Granted, there are cases that we're going to work by ourselves. It's just the nature of the beast. However, uh, when we can involve teams and systems, community, we can find greater success and certainly alleviates uh, the burden and um, the the opportunities for failure. It actually um, covers our blind spots a lot more when we involve multiple folks. So what does a church need, maybe at that basic level, 
to be a safer place. And so I think if we're working with clients and, and from a biblical perspective, and again, we're coming at the question from, we love biblical counseling, but we struggle with the church. Um, the idea here is if we're counseling from a biblical perspective and we want the church's involvement, I think the first thing we're looking for is a willingness to learn. Does the team, the church, the pastors and the leadership, do they have a willingness to learn? If there's an immediate hostility toward the idea of discussing domestic abuse, if there is an, an eagerness to only pursue marriage reconciliation, and I'm not talking about, and please hear me on this, I'm not talking about statements made in ignorance. Like, you know, in an initial meeting with a pastoral team, marriage counseling is going to come up. That's okay. No one's asking, or we shouldn't be asking, the pastoral team to have the same knowledge and convictions that we have. What we're looking for is, are they willing to learn from our experience and make the necessary changes and approaches that are going to benefit the person in front of them? Is there a willingness to learn? Now, you may, you may be surprised by this, or you may find this to be true in, in your experience, because all of us are kind of anecdotally coming at this problem. But I can tell you that I've encountered many, many churches who want to learn. Yes, I've encountered hostile churches. I've encountered pastoral leadership teams that will not listen, will not learn, will not bend, will not budge. I've been called, um, I've been called liberal and woke and all other kinds of insults that don't make any sense to me or why they're insulting, but um, based on this fact that I just want to communicate the realities, the dynamics, and the impact of domestic abuse. So I have met, been met with some hostility, but I would say more so I've been met with willingness. We want to learn. Teach us. And does that mean that they're going to buy everything that I'm selling, as, as the phrase goes? No, but a willingness to learn is a huge first step in establishing safety in the context of a local church. Two, I think the second thing is a practical thing. Is there someone running point? And I would say usually someone other than the pastor, although sometimes the pastor finds himself in this position, but is there someone running point? Meaning, is there leadership in place that's addressing this problem? Is there a willingness to learn? And is there someone or a group of someone's who's committed to care. Now, those have to go hand in hand. The care team has to be willing to learn, too. But I think safe churches tend to have a willingness to learn, a teachable spirit. And they also tend to have um, a very clear, established partner within the church that's going to be caring, whether that's a small team or an individual. Usually, care uh, and confrontation is not going to happen by committee. That's when things are going to get bogged down. But a church who has a willingness to learn and someone who is willing and able to run point, uh, I think, are two markers of a safe church. Now, you may hear me say someone running point. And what I, what I am not saying is that the church then takes over every aspect of care. That's not what I'm saying. I think that's one of the... I think that's one of the, the benefits of pastoring a small church is that often in a small church environment, we have to pick and choose what aspects of care, what aspects of ministry we're going to be involved in because we can't do it all. I think sometimes our counterparts at the big church feel like 
they can do everything. Um, and that there's this, this misunderstanding that the local church must provide everything from cradle to grave. And that's really not the case. We, we have some specific things that, that we should be focused on, some other areas that we can meet if we can meet them, but we can also share the load with other resources. So is there someone running point? And, and by that, I mean the church's side of things. Are they working with you to provide care that is both acceptable to the victim, right, and reasonable to the size, scope, um, and availability of ministry from the local church? So there's a willingness to learn. There's somebody there who's taking over leadership. And then three, is there a connectivity to resources? And that goes back to this idea that the church really can't do it all. So is there a connectivity to resources? So the church establishes that, okay, we can, we can provide safe housing in the, in the case of, of, um, of escape from a, a dangerous situation. We can provide a little bit of benevolence funding. But we don't know the complexities of the legal system. So we've partnered with the local shelter to make sure that we have legal aid and legal consultation. And the advocates at the shelter have arranged that. Or uh, we don't understand all the, let's say there's a um, civil order of protection in place. Well, you know, we're having a conversation, our security team's having a conversation with the local police department just to make sure we understand what the restrictive nature of the civil protection order is and what our responsibility is as a church. It doesn't have to be a church-wide meeting or a big committee meeting. It's just somebody running point to say, we're trying to learn, we're trying to understand, we're trying to provide care where we can properly provide care, and we're getting connected to resources that do things that we can't. We can't arrest an offender, so we need law enforcement. We can't prosecute an offender, so we need the courts. We maybe can't connect them to all the resources that an advocate can, so we need connectivity to an advocate. Just being able to be humble enough to say, we're teachable, we want to learn, we're going to take control and, and leadership in the areas that we can, but we're going to share responsibility with other resources because we understand that this is a huge problem. And then fourth, clearly defining our lanes, I think, would make us safer. I think if the church, and, and to me, this is probably the biggest hurdle because of a lot of different reasons, but I do think some of us are scared. I think we're scared of the concept of abuse. I think we're terrified of the um, the myth of the false accusation, kind of the, the false accusations are these rampant, regular things. I, I think we're afraid of sharing space. Uh, with the world, um, I think we're terrified of divorce in a lot of ways. And so we do try to do everything. Uh, we try to control. And, and I'm telling you, the last thing a victim needs is control. I mean, that's where they're coming from, is from a relationship in which they're being controlled. And so for the church now to be the controlling force in their life and to have this top-down authoritarian system uh, is generally counterproductive, if not dangerous and re-victimizing. So clearly defining our lanes. What is it that we're going to do? So we've been teachable. We've been willing to listen to the counselor, advocate, or expert and say, all right, we've got a pretty good handle on the dynamics and impact. And, and this person or this small team of people, they're going to be central to the care, 
right? It doesn't have to be an announcement on our social media. We can, we can do things under the radar here. And these folks are going to be uh, providing leadership to that. And they're connected to community-based resources so that we're not doing everything on our own. We're actually um, hand-in-glove with the community-based resources that are available to the victim. And we want to clearly define our lanes so that we're speaking into this theologically. I think that's something that churches should do. And uh, we should be willing to partner with churches on. There are things to be said about violence, peace, respect, marriage, love, uh, honor. And there should be theologically informed responses to that. Now granted, I, I think sometimes... The knee-jerk response of, of many churches has been to uh, theologically misappropriate the context, to start applying scripture um, to an abuse situation that should be reserved for normal marital conflict or should be reserved for healthy marital situations. But if we can be, again, teachable, wise, willing to step back, to theologically speak to things that are happening, such as the abuse of power, such as oppression, such as uh, sexual respect, uh, respect itself, marriage, love, the image of God. There's much that the church should be saying in regards to these situations. So one of our clearly defined lanes is we get to speak theologically. Unlike the world, I do not expect the sheriff's department to speak theologically, and I would not accept it if they did. It's, it's a different, it's two different expectations. And so the church should be speaking theologically. Two, we should be shepherding. I mean, that's one of the major calls of the church is to shepherd the flock of God. And so we should be providing care within the scope of shepherding. Now, for some reason, we still like that leadership principle that kind of mirrors the world rather than a good shepherd. But we should be speaking. We should be feeding. We should be caring for. We should be providing comfort. We should be shepherding the people that God has given us. Three, we should be the home of spiritual friends. Like spiritual friendships and spiritual conversations should be happening within the context of the local church. And I do think that that's a vital role that the church can play. One that the shelter, for instance, will not play well. I'm not necessarily interested, and this this I don't want this to sound harsh, I just think if you're coming from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, and all of your spiritual friendships are in the shelter, there's no guarantee that they'll be, A, theologically sound, two, biblically literate, right, or three, practically effective. They, they will tend to be geared towards kind of a pluralistic, non-committal, relational um politically correct type of conversation. And that's just because we're dealing with a community agency. So I'm not expecting spiritual friendships to be central within the shelter. I expect good friendships. I expect relational connectivity. I expect common um, common circumstances to unify individuals. But the spiritual friendships and deep spiritual conversations can happen within the local church. And then lastly, community, which is encompasses all of those those theological truths, those um, shepherding aspects of spiritual friendships in the context of community. And I will say that that is an area where we as a church should do a much better job. And victim, victim care and folks who work in victim care can tell you that 
the victim community is often stronger than the church community. Now, I, I can... I can take umbrage with that, or I can challenge us to that. And and I'll do both for just a minute. I remember hearing a friend of mine, uh, she was very upset a few years ago, um, a neighbor's funeral, and um, the the bar that he frequented, um, they they helped pay for his funeral. The, the patrons at the bar, they were all present at his funeral. They were all moved. And he had a local church, and she was shocked that the, the patrons at the bar were more committed to him than the men, members of the local church. And I, I would never speak, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I do remember thinking, well, he, it, I got the impression he was at the bar every Tuesday and Thursday and at the church once a month. So, so there is a matter of what community you're committed to. And the victim community as a whole has much to say that's good, much to say that's empowering. But the local church community gives us a context outside of our victimhood. It gives us a greater context in which we can live and work and grow and be challenged. Sometimes that challenging hurts because people don't understand it. And sometimes it heals because people show compassion. And so I think the local church has so much to offer in biblical care if it's safe. So to the questioner, I, I, I would hope that I wasn't trying to communicate that any old church will do. But at the same time, I do think the local church is a vital piece in caring for victims of domestic abuse, if it's safe. And some of the ways a church can be safe is, are we willing to learn? Are we empowering small groups of people to care and be involved in that work? Are we connecting that group to resources in our community? And are we sharing the load? With, with others who do the work? Are we clearly defining our lanes so that we're having greater success? Are we playing our role well by speaking theologically to the issue, by shepherding according to uh, the New Testament, by being a place of spiritual friendships that are biblically challenging, biblically literate and effective? And are we providing holistic community that gives people an opportunity to thrive and to grow outside of their circumstance within the greater context of the Bible and the community of Christ. Well, I hope that helps to some degree to think through the idea that the local church is still vital. We don't want to function without her, uh, but we do want her to continue to grow and to be a safer place for all of us, but in particular victims of domestic abuse. Thank you guys for joining us again on the PeaceWorks podcast. We truly appreciate every one of you that support our uh, our work uh, here on the podcast every week. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, review. Let the platform that you're listening on know that you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast. And until next time, God bless.